like I said, I came into Counterparty like three to six months after it had already launched. It came onto my radar after it was it had already gone through the drama. I'm familiar with the drama, so I can walk you guys through it. But essentially, Counterparty launched. It was great. And their Bitcoin was going to have 80 byte op returns. I think they did. And then Counterparty launched and Luke Dash Jr., you know, did what he does, freaks out and you're not using the blockchain, right? It's only for, you know, transferring value in Bible verses. I mean, so they went and- <laughs> what if ordinals were only Bible verses? Would, would Luke have been fine with it then? Probably. <laughs> I, you know, he might. He might. Just start putting more Jesus on the blockchain and maybe he'll move That's the filters. Cool. So, yeah, he kind of did the same thing he's doing now. It's like, oh, this is horrible. We're going to stop it. We can do fit with filters. They, they limited op return from 80 bytes to 40 bytes and tried to, like, neuter counterparty. And counterparty developers are smart. And there's, you know, Bitcoin has multiple ways to encode data. And so we essentially said, all right, you want to remove the, not we, counterparty developers, said, all right, you want to remove the way for us to write data most efficiently to the chain to try to stop us. That's cool. You can't stop us here. We're, we're going to use multi-sig. So instead of writing in in just the blockchain, now we're going to use multi-sig and write this data directly into the UTXO set. Essentially saying you can't stop us and we're doing things responsibly. But if you want to fuck around with us, we can be way more destructive. And that kind of like, they kind of backed off and just left, you know, the war kind of died down. We counterparty said, hey, you can't stop us. The developers kind of said, yeah, Bitcoin developers said, yeah, you're, you're right. So let's just kind of stalemate and you counterparty go off and exist. And so the war, spam war kind of died off until Ordinal popped up again. And then now you hear more again, the, the same stuff that you're using Bitcoin wrong. You're using counterparty or you're not using it for store of value on Bible verses. So it's just a repeat of the same stuff that you're hearing years and years and years ago. If Ordinals has staying power, I think his Luke Dash Jr.'s opinion might soften a little bit as it housed with counterparty, but he can't publicly come out and say, oh, it's okay for counterparty. It's not okay for Ordinals because, you know. Another weekend in the books. GM, GM. Adam, how are you feeling today? We're talking about the OG protocol, or at least one of the OG protocols on Bitcoin, as everything is just absolutely going up and to the right. Bro, how, how can you not feel good when the timeline is this bullish, man? It's like, eh, this is like, uh, man, it, it's amazing how quickly this happened. And I don't know what exactly what the, what the catalyst was, but the bullish vibes are just, you just got to enjoy it while it lasts because tomorrow it might be totally different. But boy, it feels good to be in crypto right now, man. It feels like we're smart again. I, I read right before this, and this I think this is still a rumor, but apparently the walk up from 20K to, four, what are we at, 43K right now for Bitcoin has been the sovereign wealth fund of um, Saudi Arabia, but uh, spending 500 billion on Bitcoin as a point. Is that literally true? Is that confirmed? No, that's, I saw it in one of the publications. I don't think it's confirmed yet, but okay. you know, now everyone's just making accusations, right? <laughs> Saudis are buying, man, right? Isn't that, wasn't that the meme, like all bear market? Well, dummies like me are like, well, maybe I'll sell and then I'll buy back in it. You know, when he hits 25 again, it's like, no, stop it, McBride. Turn, put your keys away. Don't do a God dang thing, you dummy. So um, yeah, just remember, mind your guys, most, most of us are not smart enough to play these kind of like sell by sell by games, we get wrecked. So almost everybody we know UI, and almost everybody who's gotten really wealthy in crypto is just just sat. Do nothing. Just hold on to those bags, man. I'm absolutely terrible at holding fungible coins. <laughs> bro, I'm seeing this stuff mooning. I'm seeing Ordi and Doji and all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, Jake is literally a billionaire right now because Jake was buying this stuff day one. Jake, when is the private island ready? 
Can I help you pick the island out, brother? What, what's what's going on, man? Well, you know, I came from, you know, 2016, the school thoughts like just keep trying to get 10 X's and then just keep trying to multiply those 10 X's. And ultimately the 10 X's go like a thousand X. And you're like, man, I should, but that's okay. It's all about the friends we made along the way. Like Chris, man, what's good, bro. Um, how are you feeling? Yo, Jake with the banger intro music. So, you know, the show's going to be hot, ton of energy in the ecosystem. Counterparty community coming out strong. Love to, love to see it. Love to see it. Yeah ton of hype right now and like adam said feels good to be in crypto so you know we're finally smart again we've got a couple months to be smart soon we'll we'll be idiots again so (laughs) yeah i feel it one of our special guests i still do not see him on the stage at all but adam dogfather what's good bro you are one of our counterparty experts for almost the entire year crazy we've been doing the show almost a year already man how are you feeling yeah, I'm feeling good like everyone. So uh, to me, there was no bear market because ordinals were popping and ripping. And, you know, even with a quieter period in summer, still we had lots of, you know, stuff to do, to build, um, to learn. So to me, that was a cool year. Not not just, you know, the last pump like October, November. Of course, it feels better if you're like beyond uh, 40K. But uh, so I, ha- I had a lot of time. And, uh, you know, learning stuff and also teaching people about and educating people about counterparty who were like more, you know, joining the Ordner space and the Ordner train. So, yeah, it's a fun ride. I heard some interesting, uh, an interesting number on a space right before I jumped in today. And I I can't, I haven't confirmed it yet, but this guy was saying that, you know, in 21 during the bull, you know, 98% of all NFTs were being traded on Ethereum type of thing. And now it's like literally one for one, the amount of dollar value of NFTs being traded on Bitcoin compared to ETH, which I thought was uh, some a really interesting development. And obviously we've all been here for this, you know, the rise of ordinals and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's exciting times. Feels like it's coming home, honestly. Yeah, I think the infrastructure is still a little bit further away, um, right? A lot of this, you know, everyone does meme a lot about the IPFS kind of joke, right? Leo kind of d- drags on this a lot. But on the other side of it, you know, the ownership layer on on ordinals is off chain, right? But the data is on chain, where it's opposite of on Ethereum. The data is off chain, but the ownership layer is on chain. So I think there will be a resurgence. But Bitcoin is definitely having its uh, cultural renaissance, I should say the least, very least. I mean, got to give Casey props, you know, that he wins basically, uh, you know, man of the year <laughs> is in crypto is you know most influential. Wow. What a ride, man. I mean, what an incredible ride uh, for him. I say, you know, personal congratulations to him. Or, you know, I don't know if it's a congratulations or a curse because uh, it is one of these funny things, but uh, just an incredible ride uh, that we've all taken, you know, with the ordinals and Bitcoin community. So it's been fun. Yeah, it absolutely has. Sunny Orbit on the live stream says, GM, GM, been a while to catch the live session. So GM to you. Yes, absolutely. Three days a week, having a lot of good fun times. Dogfather, I do want to start off with you, man. You know, you've been kind of all over the Bitcoin protocol for, you know, nearly a decade at this point, including Doge Party. You're really good at analytics. Your channel's been blowing up. Have you dove into um, any intriguing analytical thing findings on Counterparty itself? Yeah, it's it's been a while since I did anything on, on Counterparty. So I, um, you know, I, I did kind of like several threads on Repepi artists, Repepi sales, uh, the same for fakes and Spec Genesis. So feel free, uh, you know, to to 
do an advanced search on that. So I will once in a while read all them. And uh, now I'm looking forward to, you know, what's further happening on the curated collection for Red Puppies and Spares of Genesis. What Emblem Warp is, is rocking. I mean, we saw like all these seals of, in particular for Red Puppies, after our friends from Yuga, you know, bought some. So that's definitely bringing more eyes. And um, yeah, I'm now celebrating more or less the second birthday of my first discovery on, on Counterparty where I was, you know, where I found some interesting token that I interpret as misprints. So very, very early attempts to issue a token that failed, but still had some traces on chain. And I found them two years ago. So um, it, it's really funny how fast the time. Yeah, and the I time can't believe happened. it's been two two years since you put that tweet out. That That's crazy. It almost feels like a month ago, you know? So yeah, I'd love to, and, and anybody who's in the audience right now, if you have Counterparty stories, a uh, history of Counterparty, we'd love to explore all of it today. Right, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've invited JP up. Uh, JP Jansen, if, if y'all don't know, is a, a Counterparty OG, literal genius who was doing some incredible stuff on, on Counterparty very early some of these early experiments and um but dogfather let's dive into it a little bit what you found i guess two years ago now tell us about it yeah so the story is actually very simple so uh i tried to issue a new token uh for the dank directory that's like a fun directory like uh, fake rares but not as competitive so i was you know looking at uh the issuance tab on x on x chain which is our block explorer and counterparty and then for my freshly minted token, it, it said like five years old. And I was like, what the heck? I just did that half an hour ago. And uh, so I, I, I had a, a quick look what was happening. And then in the first issuance of that token, which is uh, Peppy Beat, yeah, it, it's, it said like, um, yeah, tried to register that five years ago, but there were insufficient funds. So someone tried to issue the token, but did not have, you know, have enough uh, funds to pay the fees. So then I, I just, you know, draw the API and uh, check how many other tokens were like that. Could be, you know, just by chance it was the only one, but there were a few others. And in particular, there were like 16 from 2014. So someone tried to issue a token, did not have enough funds and never tried again. So basically left them uh, unclaimed, but with some traces on chain that someone wanted to uh, issue the token. And one of the most well, interesting. Well, to go into a little detail there, how does it? Um, yeah. So I understand how, like, if you don't have enough, you know, XCP or or Bitcoin or whatever, a transaction gets stuck. Like, that makes sense. But but what's like actually recorded on chain there? You know, go into the details a little bit there about what's actually recorded and what kind of carries through to the new token that you you would issue to yourself. Yeah. So basically, everything is there. So uh, the token name foremost. The, the time when someone wanted to issue the token but didn't succeed, the supply and all the metadata that people want to, to, do, to put there and the first issuance transaction. So for, for all of them, there was no image attached because people were not doing that at that point in time. So they were kind of like naked. And um, if you wanted to issue this token of the same name. There was some weird error message, but other than that, if you click that away, you could just, you know, claim that token uh, with the kind of like on-chain provenance that someone tried to do the same thing like nine years ago, eight years ago. 
So that that's the whole story. And I interpret. So, so you could you could change the uh, the number, right? It, it, you didn't have to stick to whatever was tried the first time. So the first time, say they wanted to issue a hundred, you could issue a thousand when you did it later. Is that correct? A hundred percent. So it was kind of like a fresh start. Yep. So you could add metadata. You could, you know, specify the supply. You could lock it. It's your token. You can do everything. Um, and, and that's what I did. So I, I found one token I found particularly interesting because of the, like, huge uh, history and important history called Satoshi Dice. And some OGs may know that and re remember that. That was, like, the first real Bitcoin adoption, like, mass adoption. Uh, they blew off the chain because yep. that was like an online casino. So people sent some Bitcoin to the website satoshidice.com and then there was some randomization and either we are lucky and received 10 or 100 times your money or not. So the money was basically gone and the casino was just taking a small cut. This was a very successful website and uh, it was later sold for, let me let me just double check. It's such a it was a lot. Thing. Like the number of bitcoins was like hurts your brain to think about how many bitcoins. It, it was the one hundred twenty six thousand bitcoins, which was eighteen dollars back then. But it seems uh, like I guarantee you, Eric Voorhees held that all the way the entire. Oh time. Oh my god! I guarantee he sold a lot. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at that point in time, that was twelve million. Uh, still, yeah. you know, two thousand thirteen. This was. For a crypto business, still a lot of money. So pretty interesting, you know, story. So it's still operating. There's a it's reason Voorhees lives in uh, Dubai and is no longer an American citizen. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. So yeah. I, I, I like that that this token was not just having like a timestamp six days after the first user created token, the test token. Uh, so six days after that was, uh, you know, the attempt to issue Satoshi Dice. But that it also has this crypto story. So that is not just something, you know, some weird name that nobody likes. But uh, I really love that. I mean, Satoshi is always something that carries value. Then it's a real, real world application. Uh, it has lots of history. So I tried to get up in my friend's side. I tried to uh, at least uh, put some artwork on there that justifies the, the history. So we, we have some nice Easter eggs in there. So I'm, I was pinning the, my original tweet from last year uh, in there in, 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 in the space here. So you can check that out. So, uh, you know, you have reference to test token. You have, of course, the, the frog theme like uh, Nakamoto in green. That's very, very important. We have some some uh, numbers in there, you know, like the supply and something like how the, the game mechanics work. So dive in a bit and you will find some nice Easter eggs. You know, speaking and, of... Um, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, go ahead, Dog Father. I thought you were finished. So, so, so just uh, have a look at the, at the artwork. So um, you, you will find some nice crypto-related, you know, Easter eggs. Yeah, the supply is 200. Uh, I, I did some first initial... Uh, distribution when everything was ripping like in January and February 2022 so almost two years ago um, I distributed them to some you know connoisseurs who really value counterparty stuff and then some people were selling them later on up to a one point a point one eight bitcoin so it was not me <laughs> so some other people were selling them a bit more expensive um, yeah and then uh, most of the most of the tokens i i just uh, gave to some friends or told them how to do that so in order to not grab all of them but to let other people also have fun over here 
One of them even made it into the fake rares. So we have some some nice application of these uh, of these tokens also in in these contemporaneous uh, rare pathway or fake rare directory. And yeah, so that that's that's the story of uh, of these misprints or invisible tokens, as you may want to call them. It's it's such a cool story. I think you know this is the type of thing that I you know personally I find just incredibly cool. You know, you were trying to do something you saw like a flaw in it or something that, that caught your interest and then you pursued it and found some really cool stuff. And uh, I just think it's a, a incredible story. Uh, really, really cool. Uh, I actually love the the artwork you did there for it. Uh, it's really cool or really, I had done for it. It's really cool. Uh, you know, to tie in with Satoshi Dice is just uh, just amazing. But uh, look, we got on stage, we got J-Dog, man. J-Dog, I appreciate you coming up for those who don't know, J-Dog, is uh no he's legend in the counterparty community i mean counterparty it's pretty fair to say probably wouldn't exist as it does today without without j-dog maintaining it keeping it running uh, keeping x chain running so we can actually all do this kind of stuff uh with counterparty and uh so j-dog welcome man how you doing brother yeah thanks thanks for having me uh sorry i'm a little bit late i got busy uh spells of genesis is databases having some busy working on fixing their helping them fix their stuff so but i'm here now nice man can you can you give uh i know we've talked about it before but there are probably some new people in the audience here can you give like a brief intro about how you got into like counterparty how it popped up on your radar and and uh, get in a little bit of your history uh yeah i'll do the real quick version um, i found counterparty about three four months after it had already been created um, found it through Doge Party. Um, I first came to Counterparty through Doge Party, um, which was a fork of Counterparty that runs on Dogecoin. Um, so I was interested in Doge Party. Oh, Dog Father, you're or, hold on, I'll just move you. I got him. You got him. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jada. No worries. Um, so yeah, I think I was on vacation when Doge Party came out, and I was just manually registering a whole bunch of tokens. Um, and so yeah, I fell in love with Doge Party and then eventually after Doge Party developers kind of walked away and the platform kind of died I switched over to to Counterparty and just took my uh, development uh, experience and goals over to uh, to Counterparty and just started building over there and as you as you developed on Counterparty um, you know you've been running Free Wallet and Xchain um, and also the the uh, compatibles on Doge Party as well now can you just take us through what what the difference is between, you know, X-Chain as kind of this explorer that's also an exchange, which also is a dispenser, and um, how you tied all of that into Free Wallet, which is by far the most dominant wallet that's used for, for counterparty assets. Sure. Um, when I came over to counterparty, the wallets were not great. Wallets were, what wallets were there when, was it, uh, was it like counter wallet was there or which, which were the yeah, ones that were yeah. there? Yeah, the counter wallet that you see today is the same one. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's great for like introductory, like, hey, here's your wallet and here's your 12 addresses and here's your, you know, tokens and whatnot. But when you're like using counterparty at scale and you want to, you know, have thousands of assets in your in your wallet, counter wallet chokes because it pulls up multiple wallets and all the, I mean, it's just, it's not a great wallet. So um, I determined I didn't want to use that anymore. And so I wanted to build a wallet I wanted to use. Um, so I had a goal of building pre-wallet, but before I could do that, um, counterparty is kind of not super easy to integrate with as far as like making requests to it. You got to do post requests and that's not not super tough, but it's not as easy as just requesting a URL and getting data. Um, so I wrote Xchain with the idea of, hey, I want to show all the activity that is going on on uh, counterparty. 
Um, but the primary focus behind it was to write easy uh, APIs that I could then use to pull data into the wallet. So first I wrote XChain to just kind of show what's going on on Counterparty, what tokens are being registered and what's flowing back and forth. Then I went on and wrote uh, the API so I could pull data out of Counterparty easily and much faster than querying Counterparty directly. Uh, and then I wrote FreeWallet, which is just the wallet that I want to use to manage my my tokens. And I just open sourced it and apparently it became the primary wallet for Counterparty. But yeah, I, wrote, I primarily wrote it for myself for how I want to manage my tokens and it seems like other people like it too. You want to go through a little bit, it's kind of popped up over the last couple of weeks with uh, Luke, Luke Dash Jr. and, you know, all this, this Bitcoin ordinals, you know, controversy about, you know, pruning it from the the no or not allowing spam, the transactions say, to go through. Dirty word spam out loud. Spam, <laughs> spamming the, the chain. It's the hard <laughs> argument. Sorry. Yeah. You want to talk, talk a little bit about like what you experienced during, you know, that time as far as, uh, you know, how it directly affected Counterparty and what your kind of takeaway was looking back on that time? Sure. Uh, like I said, I came into Counterparty like three to six months after it had already launched. It, it came onto my radar after it, was, it had already gone through the drama. I'm familiar with the drama, so I can walk you guys through it. But essentially, Counterparty launched. It was great. Um, their Bitcoin was going to have 80 byte op returns. I think they did. And then Counterparty launched and Luke Dash Jr., you know, did what he does, freaks out and you're not using the blockchain, right? It's only for, you know, transferring value in Bible verses. I mean, so they went and... <laughs> what if ordinals were only Bible verses? Would, would Luke have been fine with it then? Probably. <laughs> I, you know, he might. He might. Just start putting more Jesus on the blockchain and maybe he'll move That's the filters. Cool. So, yeah, he, he kind of did the same thing he's doing now. It's like, ah, oh, this is horrible. We're going to stop it. We can do fit with filters. And so they tried. They, they limited op return from 80 bytes to 40 bytes and tried to, like, neuter counterparty. And counterparty developers are smart. And there's, you know, Bitcoin has multiple ways to encode data. And so we essentially said, all right, you want to remove the, not we, counterparty developers. I uh, said, all right, you want to remove the way for us to write data most efficiently to the chain to try to stop us that that's cool you can't stop us here we're, we're going to use multi-sig so instead of writing in in just the blockchain now we're going to use multi-sig and write this data directly into the utxo set essentially saying you can't stop us and we're doing things responsibly but if you want to fuck around with us we can be way more destructive and that kind of like they kind of backed off and just left you know the war kind of died down we Counterparty said, hey, you can't stop us. The developers kind of said, yeah, Bitcoin developers said, yeah, you're, you're right. So let's just kind of stalemate and you counterparty go off and exist. And uh, so the war, spam war kind of died off until Ordinal popped up again. And then now you hear more again, the, the same stuff. That you're using Bitcoin wrong. You're using counterparty or you're not using it for store of value on Bible verses. So it's just a repeat of the same same stuff that you're hearing years and years and years ago. If, if Ordinals has staying power, I think his... Luke Das Jr.'s opinion might soften a little bit as it has with Counterparty, but he can't publicly come out and say, oh, it's okay for Counterparty. It's not okay for Ordinals because, you know, that would be partial. Yeah, the game of Bitcoin politics. We talked about, we talked about that with Casey last time he was on the show. You know, it's interesting. Counterparty, you know, about to celebrate its 10-year anniversary. Um, they're doing a, a party in Vegas for all the test holders. So shout out. To those who are going to that, I'll be able to say hello to you guys. Um, but it's crazy that you know it's it's survived um, and it's had moments of of you know thriving abilities. Generally, it's appreciated multiple years later than when the assets are created in 2021. 
there was this boom about historical NFTs. And that's when people, I think, began to go re-explore what was Bitcoin NFTs, which at the only time was really counterparty um, that people found any sort of interest in. And it's funny now, I think Ordinals is actually going through a similar thing. I saw people trading and a whole narrative about the original Ordi Mint inscriptions they're calling historical and people are going up and buying them. And so it reminded me of like, are we about to do this whole historical NFT narrative all over again? Right. Kind of idea. But it's this so time funny. Now, it's six months out, right? And they're they're already doing it. Right. So they have two historical narratives. They have, you know, this sub 10K kind of idea. And then you have um now, I guess, original Ordi mint inscriptions. What else is going to be there? Who really knows? But now that Bitcoin's kind of, you know, having this emergence period, capital funds now want to have a whole Bitcoin section to them. There's a more legitimacy that's added to all of these original tokens on counterparty because, you know, the whole ecosystem is only going to continue to grow from here. But now as we look at it, um, there's only a few, I guess, newer projects that are really being created. You have rare Pepe's and you have a lot of like individual Pepe artists. But I wanted to ask like J-Dog as somebody who's like maintaining it and you see all these transactions go through as of today, or I guess you'd say maybe just in 2023 to generalize, like what type of activity is existing on counterparty in terms of new projects or just new assets being issued? If I may be so bold. Sure. Go for it, Dan. Go for it, Dan. Gone. Who we did not rug you, bro. <laughs> we'll, go to, we'll go to J-Dog first, and then we'll, when Dan comes back up, he could go ahead. So what was the question? Just what, what projects are currently going on on counterparty? What kind of activity do we see going on on the platform? Yeah, yeah. Just say maybe just, you know, wrap 2023 on counterparty because the original narrative was all historical stuff. Uh, what type of new type of projects or tokens are you seeing issued on counterparty um, we're seeing just more of the like fake rares and cocoa uh, projects you know pop up um, also seeing um, self self plug here there's uh, two projects that I'm currently running one called modern relics.io and one called rude relics.io those are also running on counterparty and the idea there is tokens that were registered in 2014 are given new artwork. There's like a design contest every month for the next two years and artists submit artwork to be considered for the, uh, to be applied to the main legacy token and then every month we'll pick a winner. And so there, there's that going on. And I'm kind of playing around with the censorship limits in that Rude Relics project. I kind of want to suss out <laughs> where where I want to censor. I don't believe in censorship unless it's extreme. And so, but I kind of want to suss out where on X chain the line is for where what I will and won't censor. So that was kind of the premise behind this Rude Relics project was push the line of what is rude and see if there's anything that I'm going to need to censor on on X chain. As far as activity, daily activity for 2023, there was a good amount of uh, stamps activity in 2023. Um, seems like most of the minting of stamps has died down a lot but there's uh, still a good amount of dispensers being created and stamps being uh, at least from what i can see of the stamps that live on counterparty i see them going going back and forth stuff I, i'm not sure on src 20 if i can see those transfers or whatever but that's uh that's my summary of what's going on 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 counterparty right now just people experimenting and having fun and playing around yeah, it does seem like Counterparty's really taken the narrative of just being like home for memes, um, tokenized memes for the most part. Um, what right, whether it's rare cocoa or or Pepe or whatever it comes here in the future, it seems like that's kind of what's been taken home. But I know you, um, J Dog, you you experimented with I believe it was called BTNS, and then you also on Free Wallet, there's a, a donation for 
a decentralized kind of uh, prediction market or betting platform. Could you at least just explain a little bit of what both of those are? Because they are both kind of fascinating ideas, especially. Um, we'll just go through both of them. We'll talk about it after. Sure, I'll talk about the uh, the betting system. Then you can remind me what the other thing I'm supposed to talk about is. Um, <laughs> so Counterparty, when it was launched, um, it was launched with a built-in decentralized betting and Oracle system where anybody can just create some custom JSON file and broadcast it and say, hey, here's this file that contains information about an event like the Super Bowl. Here's the possible outcomes. One team wins, one team doesn't. And here's the, you know, basically a file that says, hey, here, here's what you can bet on. And here's the fee that an Oracle will charge. Um, and then within Counterparty, there's a betting ability where people can say, okay, here's the feed I want to bet on. Here's how much XCP I want to bet. And the protocol escrows it all trustlessly so but you can only bet with xcp currently but the idea is you can have a oracle system that's run by people as well as betting system that is run and where the funds are um, escrowed on the protocol so it's not like you have a third party holding funds that can then run off with it so um the oracle broadcasts a event saying hey here's this event here's what you can bet on and here's when the bet will resolve and then uh, after the event happens that Oracle then broadcasts the result, like basically just a one or a two or a three saying what the end result is. And then counterparty says, okay, I have the results of this betting event now. Let's look at everybody who has bets against it. Let's you know take money from the losers and give it to the winners and whatnot. So counterparty has the decentralized betting system built into it that was used the first couple of years, Maybe. but nobody used it. There wasn't really much profit to be made. So it, it kind of fell out of use. It's amazing. Uh, that, that's amazing. How, how does how does the Oracle? I mean, give just a high level for kind of normies. How does the the Oracle aspect of that work? Well, you create a custom JSON file um, in a special format that defines the outputs and you know some text and when the when the event will resolve, and you broadcast that. Counterparty then goes into this special JSON file and pulls out the options. And and when people go to bet um, within Counterparty, it then goes and parses the JSON file. And you know, to be perfectly honest, I haven't messed with betting internally, so I can't speak to exactly what goes on. But I do know that when people place the bets the funds are immediately taken out of their wallet and put into escrowed into the counterparty system. Um, so there's no chance for somebody to like lose a bet and take off with the funds and move them before. Everything is escrowed trustless. And the idea here is with oracles, you want to, long-term you're going to have a whole bunch of people running oracles and you'll want to only pay attention to the ones that are giving out accurate results and have a good history. Um, but anyway, so back to free wallet and then the betting thing. I always wanted to get this. And if you want to know more about the betting stuff, ask, ask Joe Looney. He actually built a betting, betting functionality working again. And so I put a bounty in free wallet where if I collect, you know, whatever it was, 3000 XCP, then I'll set aside some time to build an interface where people can just type in their what they want to create an oracle and what they want to bet on. Uh, I'll just make it easy for people to just fill out a form and now you're an or and cho choose how much you want to charge people and now you're an oracle. And same thing, I'll have an interface that'll show you all the things you can bet on and you can just click on it and choose how much you want to bet and have it be, you know, pretty simple. So that's that's the goal is there's a feature of Counterparty called bets that's not used and I'd like to eventually revive it. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, right now in the Bitcoin ecosystem on the ordinals, the idea of a, a Bitcoin Oracle is attempted to be tackled 
mostly for BRC20s, but inevitably and eventually you'll need it for all types of Bitcoin assets. And that's still like a very immature market. But, you know, decentralized betting has had some regulatory issues over the years, especially those that are on Ethereum that continually get shut down. I think the one right now is on Polymarket, but it has some sort of regulation, regulatory aspect to it. If you have this here on on Counterparty, right, there's really no way to censor it, at least for the majority, and for regula- regulators to come in and, you know, say, hey, you can't bet this because it does get kind of in this this gray area. Uh, so I think Bitcoin does need one. Go ahead, dog. Yeah, the Counterparty protocol doesn't pay attention at all. The IP addresses or where you're coming from is just here's a request to generate a bet. Um, so as far as how did the original founders hide betting and do stuff legally um, in counter wallet. There's just an option where it says, if your IP address is from the U S don't show the betting interface in counter wallet, but on the protocol level, there's nothing that stops the person from going ahead and, and betting. And, and in free wallet, I will have no kind of IP checking. You just, if you want to bet you'll bet. That makes sense. Uh, and then the last question I had um, was BTNS. I think it was called B was it BTNS or B. I might have had that backwards, the broadcasting system that you were uh, dabbling with and experimenting. Um, just take us through like what the idea of that was and you know, if you're still working on it or if maybe betting or just maintaining it is where the priority is. Sure. Uh, BTNS was initially born as kind of a way to show stamps and the SRC20 guys how they could do tokens on counterparty if, if they wanted. Um, it wasn't used and I kind of like built it out a little bit more. I had some fun building building out um, BTNS. What it essentially is, is it's taking all of the logic of counterparty, all of the functionality of counterparty, and removing it from the lower levels of encoding transactions and decoding transactions and moving it up, all the, the consensus logic to a higher level. So what it allows me to do is build and develop much, much faster um, than having to go back and forth with counterparty devs and and whatnot. Um, so the idea here was initially, hey, this is a way I can play with features on counterparty and develop stuff faster and kind of like prove some of these um, concepts that, that I want to, you know, tinker around with. But over time, as counterparty development has become more and more difficult to push things forward, and I, I want to do a lot of experimenting with BTNS, with larger transactions and Taproot, it's, it's kind of, BTNS is kind of pivoted in my mind. Um, it started out as just kind of a fun playground to see what you can do on counterparty and you can still do that Um, but at this point i think it's i'm going to be in 2024 i'm pretty sure i'm going to be pivoting it to a full-fledged multi-chain platform where the consensus logic lives higher up and the platform itself the api only handles generating transactions and passing it some some string of code so doing a bad job of explaining it but <laughs> you might need to hire a marketer bro so you can create a token and choose if you want to write the token to a back end on block on bitcoin a back end on litecoin a back end on doge party a back end on ethereum so it will be one code base to maintain and you can write to whatever backend blockchain you want. That's the idea generally is, is stop maintaining counterparty and then Doge party and some other fork of the party and just maintain one code base that then is allowed to write to multiple blockchains. I got one final question then actually just spurred, you know, when we recorded our podcast, it was like six months ago, we were talking that, you know, you had a high degree of preference just for Bitcoin and Doge party. Um, but now it seems you're, you're going to build something for multi-chain. Um, how has your position on other blockchains changed as 
you know, you've been developing Counterparty and now want to pursue something that includes the majority of, I guess, adopted blockchains? I think that my personal preference is just do everything on, on Bitcoin. Um, and then as Bitcoin gets more expensive, do do more fun stuff on Dogecoin. So I still am high preference to Bitcoin and then, then Dogecoin. Um, as far as opening up to other blockchains, I just want one code base to maintain and, and uh, writing to Litecoin, Dogecoin, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of those are not technically all that difficult to do to just, hey, take some data, stuff it into a transaction and write it to a blockchain. So I'm not a fan of Ethereum and all these other blockchains, but if I'm writing a multi-chain platform and it's not that tough to allow them to be included, why would I not? Wow, that's exciting. You heard that here first. Multi-party, that is exciting time. Dogfather, thanks for remaining patient. Uh, what was on your mind? Oh, I just wanted to, uh, when you talked about the uh, counterparties, mainly about memes and so I think we should also, while celebrating uh, Casey with the, with the Ordners, should also celebrate JP Jensen, who was, according to my research and my knowledge, the first to put something on chain with his Olga token, not directly on the token, but he broadcasted that uh, with the counterparty system. And that was like, I think 2015 or 16, so pretty, pretty early, just doing what the stamps guys are now doing with Space64 uh, encoding uh, with an artwork. And I, I don't know, I, I think this is priceless. I mean, I, I guess he won't sell it, but uh, this, is, this can be considered like an ultimate grill so I think Counterparty uh, did everything that kind of like what ordners are doing nowadays uh, in terms of uh, artwork, you know, and they were very early. So I think we will appreciate that more and more. The more people come to Bitcoin and to ordners, the more they will appreciate what was happening on Counterparty. So I'm I'm extremely bullish for everything that happened early, like web copies, spells of Genesis, but also, you know, like, individual attempts like what JP Jensen was doing also with all his other works, very early stuff. And, uh, you know, all the other, I, I mean, I have some and also, you know, Divesta has a very, very cool uh, counterparty timeline. I have one, including, uh, you know, colored coins and ordinance on top of that. So I think we will appreciate that more and more what was done on, on counterparty, really legendary early experiments. And you know, huge props, what you're doing. I, I don't know how much your, your day must have like 48 hours at least. So <laughs> to build all these stuff and maintain all these things. And uh, also we should uh, highlight that, you know, what, what Javier and, and others are, are helping out there to, you know, do all these daily, daily work on, on counterparty. So really huge props to, to the whole dev team. Yeah. yeah. J-Dog, do you want to talk a little bit about how, you know, development on counterparty, how you see it going forward and kind of what you're going to be doing over the next, whatever, six months, year, you wanted to go into that a little? Yeah, I'll give you my minimal drama free answer. Counterparty is in good hands now. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here at counterparty. I'm still overlooking every change and whatnot, but I've stepped back as the core main developer and uh, JP Jansen, uh, Shannon Cope from Emblem Vaults and Joe Looney all have stepped into maintainer roles on the counterparty repo. Um, They've all been around for a really long time. I have utmost faith that they're going to treat counterparty with the respect uh, that it deserves and and move it forward. So uh, as far as, um, Counterparty moving forward, I think it's in a it's in a good spot. It's more decentralized than it has been the past few years, and there will be more voices. And I hope that some of those voices can can agree and move some things forward. 
Yeah, that is a very star-studded um, trio. So what does that actually mean for those who aren't technically, you know, or technically savvy? Does this mean that they control the code to counterparty? Is this like a, a multi-sig where two of three or three of three need to sign something to push a new data request? What, what does that actually mean? It's all, it's the same as it was with the original founders. It's all a trust network of, you know, None of the founders are going to step on other founders' toes and push stuff out without communicating and making sure that everybody's on board. So it's kind of the same thing. As far as permissions, any individual developer right now in the main repo, Joe, Shannon, and, and JP and myself, they have the technical ability to push any repo, to push any commit to counterparty. So yes, if I die tomorrow, all of them could push things immediately. However, it's when I say it's decentralized, um, we don't require two or three, you know, multi-sigs for pushing code. It just means all of us agree. We're not pushing out anything until there's consensus. There's four of us now. And three three of the four of us got to agree. And I'm just spitballing this. Well, all four of us maybe have to agree to push changes out. So um, that that's how it will work. It's just no longer me being the sole guy pushing changes out and saying, okay, I think the community agrees with this. <laughs> Let's push it out and then being attacked for it. And I'm like, all right. You guys figure out what the community <laughs> push it forward and I'll be here, you know, rah rah. I hope it goes good. Yeah, I'm gonna decentralize the outrage is really what I'm <laughs> Well that so, might that may just layer in, you know, obviously when there are more people, more people, more problems. It's like so maybe it becomes even less likely to change now, which may or not may not be a good thing depending on, you know, how you look at it. Less experimental features and more only things that are getting out are stuff that everybody agrees on, which generally is is good for a larger ecosystem. You don't want to push experimental stuff yeah well i have to say man congratulations you know you've been the maintainer of everything for what five six seven years now at this point i'm sure it's a little bit of a sigh of relief that you really get to go focus on things that you want to build as you had noticed or mentioned earlier with the multi-chain bt btns network so congrats man i know, I know you've been uh, doing a lot excited to see what that means for the future of counterparty and if it hopefully you know revitalizes um, the introduction of some new ideas from those who've maybe just been holding on to them for a long time for whatever the reason may be uh, i really hope it does spur maybe some of those original visions um, with you know counterparties kind of this DeFi kind of centric protocol right now it's mostly nfts but there's a lot of things out there a lot of a lot of options so uh exciting for that gambling bro we always talk about gambling who knows man maybe it comes home to uh, counterparty <laughs> i did i did want to uh, call on dave devesta who's on uh, the stage who recently put out an awesome probably the most intricate history of counterparty tokens timeline i was trying to look for it to pin it could not find it but first i want to say hello and then uh, tell us a little bit about this timeline and uh, what you came to learn while writing it well hey thanks for having me on the timeline that I have, I can pin it after I talk about it. But yeah, forgive me. This is very early for me. <laughs> I told that to the, the guys when they invited me. And uh, this timeline basically comes from seeing a lot of people on Twitter and other places claim that something was the first one out of one NFT. And first off, I just want to give a shout out. It's not just me. It's my God. So many people have helped me with this information. Uh, there's a lot of people in the counterparty community where you'd ask a question like, you know, what was Olga or something? And then everybody knew about it except for me. And I didn't know anything about it. And I found that JP Jansen, Dogfather, so many people in the community had already researched this stuff, but it hadn't been conglomerated at all into one place yet. And I'd seen really, I was really inspired by White Rabbit's timeline and showing 
really early tokens. But after talking to a few people in the community, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many other tokens. There's, you know, Olga's super interesting, but no one knows, you know, less than a month later, there was something with Base64 called Beep from Theo Goodman, which he did audio integration with Base64. People later on, Cornholio experimented with that on descriptions. And and um, then I started looking at like the developer you know, counterparty improvement proposals and some of the ones that were drafted and haven't come in yet. And I was just getting mad at people on Twitter, like nothing, counterparties never developed and they didn't do anything of value. And I was just like, freaking, that's not true. And I'm going to show you. The timeline includes so much stuff that I conglomerated from some beautiful people, developers, old project, just people I never thought I'd be in contact with. And the groundwork was laid by all these people like JP Jansen and, and uh, all this data was already there. It just hadn't been conglomerated yet. And I finally put it in and I was like, I want to do this cool timeline. I really wanted to pull request it and put it on the, the counterparty website. But even now, after looking at this timeline, there's hundreds of entries. And now I just want to make it more comprehensive. <laughs> I want to have every project that ever existed onto it. I don't know if that's feasible, but... There's a lot of stuff on there that I'll, that that I could only find some of the information. Or someone would be like, "Oh, here's a Bitcoin Talk article. Where we kind of went over, you know, Pinata, or we went over, you know, even JP Jansen's, you know, ebook, right? Now, a lot of Counterparty wasn't just NFTs. It was a lot of really cool uses. There was the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. There was and website, right? And there was, I mean, one of the tokens I wrote down was Adam Levine saying, "If you buy this token, you can talk to me for an hour." And I thought that was freaking cool, man. I thought that was like beautiful. And I was like, people were really experimenting with what a Bitcoin asset could do, you know? Yeah, you've done a really good job. We've pinned it to the top. Just uh, everyone show some love and retweet it so that everyone could see it. I, I know from firsthand experience, Adam knows as well. Once you put out a timeline for something, it's never finalized. You always got to put V1 at the end of it because it's never, it's never, it's never complete. Yeah. I tried to write throughout the whole, the whole process. You know, this is a draft. It's always going to be updated. I have a little spot. It come a lot of the data gets pulled from this little GitHub. I made little repo. There's the, I like that it's public that I can show all the updates and how stupid I started with, you know, and all that. But uh, it just, you know, the not enough information in the beginning. And now it's, I have a little list that says tokens on deck of just, and then now it's filling up yet again because people like Satoshi Dice, right? I, I really thought about adding that for a long time, but, um, and I think I still will. It's just, I wanted to start, I always wanted to show who was the first to use a certain part of the counterparty protocol. Who was the first to lock a token? Who was the first to do a dividend? Who was the, you know, who was the first to use these really cool options you can do on the counterparty protocol? And then what did they use it for? And, uh, and sometimes, you know, in the in the timeline, I, I write, you know, it didn't really work. You know, this idea didn't work, really work. Other times, it's working to this day. It's still in action. It's great. So I thought that was cool. I, I wanted to show people that um, there's some history here, and people really experimented with stuff, and not that many people know about it. And I was, I, I wanted, and you know, I wanted people not to have to go, you know. I wanted people to have a centralized place where they could go and see this all and at least give a starting point of like, yo, this is some crazy stuff that people are experimenting with and not many people know about it. So that's my backing on making it. Yeah, 2014, 2015 counterparty is actually full of unique type of experiences. A lot of redemptions, as you mentioned, Let's Talk Bitcoin is probably one of the more innovative early projects that takes in a lot of concepts that people are even trying to experiment with today um, and also the early kind of counterparty tokens a lot of them are actually surround kind of DeFi kind of activities more than they do nfts 
and what and kind of the modern type of um, NFTs that we see today. So appreciate you for doing that, man. Can never have um, enough timelines to say the least. Uh, we do have a few other people on stage here. So I'm going to make some rounds for anyone um, who wants to speak on Counterparty. Uh, first, I want to say hello to uh, the Ruins. Damn, I haven't seen you in a long time. Also, somebody who had wrote it wrote a very awesome timeline a counterparty and NFT timeline. Man, how you been? All right, you might be on mute. If not, um, we'll move on, and uh, I'll say hello to Arwen, our favorite stamp connoisseur, man, the the man of pixelated sheep. How are you doing? What is everybody muted, dude? What's happening <laughs> with these mics, man? Guys, plug your mics in, bro. Come mm. on, man. Maybe, Chris, are you able to speak? Maybe we've got a mass rug situation here. Chris, can you hear me? No, no, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here for you guys. Right, yeah, guys, cool. if your mic's not working, maybe just uh, leave, hard close your app, and then come back in. Well, we're going to get some more, some further people on. V-Runes just threw up a, an emoji. Are you there, <laughs> G-Money, man. Uh, how you been? At first, I want to say the episode that we did on Pepe Numerology, quite a big hit. Also got in quite a little bit of skepticism from the outside people <laughs> listening to it. Definitely one of our better or most viewed Pepe shows. So Definitely the most controversial. Uh, our DMs <laughs> got a little bit filled with, uh, what are you guys? Let the triggering continue. Oh, the triggering was off the charts, man. <laughs> no, so uh, thanks for what you guys are doing. Bringing more awareness to counterparty is always a great thing. Just a couple things I wanted to mention is I'll be in Vegas this week at Unconfiscatable. And oh, cool. I'll actually be debating... Counterparty versus some other you know, projects uh, there. So if anybody's in Vegas or wants to come to Vegas Thursday, Friday, first like four or five people to message me, I'll get you a free ticket. Tickets are like 650 bucks. Whoa. So it's Thursday and Friday. I live uh, in Vegas. one for Jake, bro. Yeah, I live in Vegas. I live downtown. Dude, so, you want to yeah. come? Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Come out. I, I talk on Thursday. There's a little poker tournament Wednesday night. Feel free to come on down. It's going to be a great time. It's mostly Bitcoin stuff. So uh, shit corners can stay home. But the only other thing I wanted to mention is there's a really interesting story with Overstock and Patrick Byrne, which maybe j Dog didn't really touch on as the, you know, kind of the startings of Counterparty, but he actually ICO'd Overstock and put a bunch of money into the development some sort of way into Counterparty. And he's the only person that has like a legitimate approved government like document that people can trade equities on Counterparty. Well, I don't know if it's like Counterparty or it's this other program, but it's just a really interesting story. I did like a full dig on it. There's an episode of Rug Pull Radio where we talk about it. So it'd be fun to talk about that one time. But um, that's okay. the only thing I want to say. I, I watched your, your interview on Rug Pull Radio and I went through that. And then I went through, I included that on the timeline. And it's a, it was like a developmental fork that Overstock did to integrate the counterparty platform to do some of their e-commerce stuff using this, the decentralized exchange or some of the functions that counterparty had. And uh, there, there's a couple, there's a little bit of info on it, but um, they had a press release. There was a press release from Counterparty on it. There was articles written. It was a big deal when Overstock kind of came in. There was another fork called Mona Party as well a little bit later. But yeah, Overstock, that's a big deal. I, I was happy to that you get that information for the community, G-Money. Not many people know about that. Yeah, just another interesting rabbit hole as we go down some of this stuff. But uh, yeah, that's all I think I want to mention. So if anybody wants to come to Vegas, hit me up. Um, we'll be out there uh, Thursday, Friday. So thanks, guys. Yeah, I think, Jake, you're, you might call this one, man. Vegas may be the crypto hotspot, man. I it's told like, you it's funny. I've been okay. I've been saying this for so many years at this point already. Like me and Chris are tired of doing this. We even started a whole business around this in 2021 to a consultation group. It's to me, it's just like 
the equivalence of, of Vegas and crypto culture. There's so many parallels. And then especially when you dive even more to NFTs and the direction where the direction of the city is going and just my conversations with all the the gaming control board and the regulators of, of Vegas, they're much more interested in um, this idea of NFTs intertwining with Vegas than uh, having Bitcoin on the craps table. And just one reason of that, and then I'll kind of you know recant from there, is that when when you're putting crypto on gambling, there's two things. There's two things that they need to approve. One of them is like the source of funds, right? And so the source of funds for most Bitcoins goes back to the Silk Road in some degree. So we had a bunch of lawmakers we were working with or trying to figure out like what is the right amount of of transactions before it, you know, before you're essentially saying that this is a clean Bitcoin. Oh boy. Right. And so when you're trying to explain this to, you know, politicians who have no idea what crypto is to the beginning, it's like such a it just goes over their head. So ultimately Chris and I, you know, we shut that business down and we said, you know, we'll come back to this in a few years um, when it is a little bit more adopted and then we can really go about it. And when I was taught when we were talking with Circa, which is like the leading casino downtown in 2021, they said that they saw NFTs as a marketing expense versus a profitable business endeavor. And I was like, okay, they just, they don't get it yet. So hopefully a few more years or one more cycle, um, they'll get it. And then we'll be able to have like an NFT slot machine or something like that. <laughs> What's up, Kane? What's up, Kane? I know you guys got some great takes. How you been, bro? Were you, were you trying to get a fucking politician to commit? Listen, no, no, no. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. You know, I like you. I already appreciate you. I want to go fishing. I like G-Money. I like Road Pool Radio. I like them very much. A lot of fun with those guys. Those are good people. But if you were trying to get a politician, a number that fucking Tide Pods my coins, I think you get a statue like Rocky and Phil. Yeah, we're trying hey, to we make it happen, man. You know, we're, we're trying. We brought in a consultation group for it. And then ultimately, I just kind of ended up working at Emblem and that kind of fizzled out. And Chris and I closed the business. It was called Native Research. But... There's a large amount of interest in, you know, helping turn Vegas into this kind of like NFT or crypto um, community. And the the Las Vegas government tends to move quite slow as most governments, but there is a very large amount of interest there. And we're even seeing this now with, you know, some of the casinos have started their own NFT rewards programs, like Stations Casinos has done charms. Uh, I helped. MGM do their job walkies thing back a few years ago. And so everyone's kind of experimenting it. You could use Bitcoin actually experiment or not experiment Rhino at crazy horse three right now. So if you want some lap dances and VIP service, you can use Bitcoin for that. So it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. They're kind of circling it like sharks until um, they finally give in. You get your statue in tungsten or carbonite, <laughs> or Han Solo, whatever you want. Just let me know. I'll make sure it happens for you. Let's First go, guy baby. through the wall gets bloody. Jake got maybe a little yeah. bit bloody there. What's up? Do we have an NFTT? Uh, how's it going? What's up? What's up? How are you? Good, good, good. What, what, what are you, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling awesome. I mean, that's a valiant effort in trying to get the politicians involved. I mean, you got to have folks working on all angles, right? Um, you handle the politicians, other people who handle the artists. I was in Vegas a couple of months ago. This was the only place that I've seen an actual NFT store in downtown Vegas. But the art scene is, I don't know what happened to the artists. So there was almost nothing there. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Crypto or Journey Crypto is a very large kind of OG crypto YouTuber, opened up a gallery, an NFT gallery in Las Vegas. The thing, the issue with NFT galleries, I don't know if it's anybody else feels the same way. They always fall so flat to me. Every yeah. every single one that I go to, it just it, it feels like there's something missing. I don't know exactly what it is, but also too at the NFT gallery, 
they were just showing all like PFPs. It was like board apes and pudgy penguins and shit. And I was like, come on, this is an art. <laughs> we want something. I don't, I know they're worth a lot of money, but I want something that I can actually look at. It's not just a PFP. Yeah. And they were also never open. Regardless of what time I went there, they weren't open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're unfortunately struggling uh, a little bit to say the least. On, an, on that moment, I don't want to interject too much, but I just want to give a shout out to nft factory in paris uh the pepes and a lot of counterparty people stamps ordinals all met up and at something called pepe fest and i want to give a shout out to nft gallery out there in paris they have that was beautiful what you're talking about on oh, you know they they were a, a great accommodation we had like live minting from joe looney on his new wallet for counterparty assets people could mint from their phones people were drawing pepes on little sheets of paper and just taking pictures of their phone so there's a huge scene out there. I think one of the artists from Rare Pepe, Robness, had his piece in um, right across the walkway in the uh, contemporary art gallery out there too. So anyway, there's places out there that really are great and accommodate this amazing community too. So anyway, I just wanted to throw it out there because they were great. First of all, look, in the spirit of giving shout outs, um, I really got to give a shout out to Emblem Vault. You guys were the inspiration that got me it, it, it blew my mind when I saw Circuits of Value and this ability to attach assets to um, to NFTs. And that what, that's what sent me down my path in building my NFT platform that is specifically that. NFTs attached to a smart contract. Um, I've given y'all shout outs before on, 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 on tweets. I always mention that you were my inspiration almost any time I talk about where the origin of my startup came from. And I'm glad that I have this opportunity to actually say that to you. I know very few folks in this industry will actually give props to who and where they got their inspiration from. And I, I want to seize this opportunity to do so. Thank you for that. I uh, appreciate, appreciate that. I'll make sure that uh, I tell Shannon that as well, that he's very appreciated. That's all. It's really awesome to see. We're here to grow the pie together. And um, that's what Emblem Vault's mission is. Um, never, you know, as much as there is friendly competition, we're here to really just, you know, proliferate Bitcoin NFTs and every asset so that people can use whatever kind of ecosystem they feel most comfortable with kind of at the end of the day. Uh, we do have two more speakers up here that I want to call on before um, we close it out with questions. Uh, first one is Aquatic. I saw you out of your hand up maybe 30 minutes ago or, or so. First, thanks for coming on stage and, and how are you doing? Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me up here. Yeah, I put my hand up before just because while we were talking, Bitcoin hit. 43 and a half of uh, 43,500 while we were all talking just now. Tell it all guys, dump it all. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a small fish and I came late to the scene on counterparty. Um, I actually found counterparty through the circuits of value telegram. I used to annoy desktop commando to the point where he would mute me and almost ban me. And someone in the chat decided to invite me into the fake rares group. And because I was always on emblem.finance, but I didn't understand fake rares, rare pepes, dank rares, all the vaults. I didn't get it. And then we had the Coinbase listing and my bag grew. And then I was like, okay, I really fuck with this stuff. But immediately I was, I was invited into a fake into the fake rare uh channel and i i'm not like i said i'm a small fish i'm sort of a younger dude and what i wanted to emphasize was the community behind counterparty all the different communities have kept me around kept me showing up every single day in fake rares my first week there skrilla had a contest where he said first person to write fair 
five paragraphs on uh, post-capitalism wins a purple Pepe. And I just sprinted to my computer and typed out this five-paragraph essay of, of jargon. And, and I, I got my first fake rare that way. But from using free wallet to understanding and it, like to basically like being onboarded through Counterparty, I'm not sure how many people can say that who joined in 2021, just because most people up here are serious OGs. But I, I didn't have much to say. I don't have much to contribute other than the community just does not die. And it is the best community in the crypto space. No matter the collection, whether it's the Barnyard Club from Carcinated, whether it's fake rares, whether it's dank rares, whether it's Pepe Party, what whatnot. But the really just the kind, nurturing family, like we've got your back, I've got your back mentality. It's kept me around. And like I, I again, I'm a small fish. I don't have I don't have too many uh, fish bucks or anything like that, but uh, man, I, I love Counterparty. I love Free Wallet and uh, yeah, long time Emblem fan. Thank you so much for having me up and uh, shout out to everybody in here because I, I, I'm close with a few people in here, but shout out J-Dog. I never knew the extent of, I didn't know you literally gave birth to Free Wallet. It was fucking amazing. Gave birth. Sorry. Yeah, I, I'm a left curve guy. <laughs> curve guy, but I'll I'll hand it off to uh, my big brother. I don't know Arwen, maybe. Uh, but thank you for having me up here, Jake. Yeah, abs- absolutely, my friend. As you said that too, with left curve, Ordy is at sixty five dollars on its way to sixty. I could have had it for five cents. How is yeah. this possible? <laughs> abs- absolutely ripping, insane. What? Every time I watch it go up, it's just in pain by how early I sold it. Because like, I think in the next cycle, it's going to be uh, shit coins, BRC20s. This is going to be it, man. This is the meta. Yeah. And I was like, nah. He's like, bro, yes, I'm getting in. I'm all in. And I was like, all right, go for it, man. And it went up just, 2x just all out. It's like 10, but uh, rotated a little too early on that one. So uh, yeah, it's always when you're coming out of a bear market, you know, you just like you've been beaten down over the last 18 months and you're like, there's no way this continues to go up. And 100%. eventually it does. And that one time you're like, ah, that's OK. I, there's a lot more room to go for it. Literally everything, because if you know how shit coins work, the shit coins rotate into NFTs, right, which at least the cycle is. And I don't think that'll be any different on Bitcoin. It'll be exact exact same thing. It'll probably go to other protocols. Uh, I do. We do have two other people, or one. I want to say hello to HNFT Pepe, man. The guy that's been building on on Counterparty with stamps. Uh, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? Uh, I didn't realize I was going to come up and speak, but definitely happy to. I'm not an OG or anything, but uh, I've been in crypto probably six or seven years. I was pretty happy being in on, but then uh, I guess HNFTs, historic, historic, historical vintage, or whatever. You, everyone's okay with calling them now just old nfts uh, kind of got me into into uh digital art and collecting uh, probably just uh, you know collecting like sports cards comic books and enjoying classic cards and things like that got me into historical nfts followed a lot of what uh, adam and, and jake had going on with historic nfts and did went through that whole journey and then i uh, decided to create a, a collection on a counterparty kind of dedicated it's kind of a little tribute to historic nfts and that was actually the the first uh, collection and my first experience with with messing around with digital art. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of where I got started, and then I just started branching out into other things. I'm pretty big on stamps right now. I have a few collections there. Also, 
created some uh, rare cocos, some common cocos, which uh, if J-Dog is still on, thank you, man, for adding that green banner and helping out the, the, the very tiny, small cocos, common cocos community get their official banner and become official. Maybe we can get on uh, what the fuck next, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, so yeah, creating uh, cocoa memes as well, which is uh, a, a new meme that we're hoping can, can gain some traction, kind of started by Kiro and... Uh, Looks like we have rares and, and, and commons now. And what else? Uh, as far as stamps, as with what I'm doing there, I'm involved with the, the arts page uh, as well as the stamp directory. Uh, we're doing some big things with that directory, so pretty excited about that. We're going to be uh, attempting to create a DAO, a token, the stamps art directory, looking into potentially physical books for that, maybe live events, who knows? I'm not sure how crazy we want to get with it, but... We got a solid team for that, uh, but I continue to create on Counterparty as well. I, I have plenty of uh, Pepe commons, and I recently submitted my first uh, fake rare, and that got approved, so I'm pretty excited about that. I got another one that's approved, but those damn bur burn cards are expensive and hard to get a hold of. <laughs> well, congrats, yeah. man. That's a nice uh, one. Thanks. Thanks, man. I I, I, I wanted to do the uh, get the, the first one or the second one dropped first because it was actually uh, approved for the Beeple Winter Wonderland Digital Gallery event on December 16th. So I thought having it in fake rares before that event takes place on December 16th would be pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, not going to stop from here. Tell, tell me about that Beeple thing. I didn't quite understand. I saw your tweet about it, but I didn't quite understand what's actually happened there. Tell me about that. Yeah, man, I, I, I actually just saw it on Twitter. Like, uh, Beeple posted that he was going to be doing an art gallery. I think it's, it's one of the Carolinas. I can't remember, South Carolina or North Carolina. And they have like a, this massive digital gallery event, I guess, just greens everywhere with a bunch of digital art with a winter wonderland theme. And what's interesting is I, I had already created that that rare, uh, that that fake fake Pepe, and I was just waiting to figure out what I was going to do with it. I was like, oh, well, it fits the theme. Why not sub it? It's a long shot, but whatever. And I, I submitted it, and, and it got approved. And I guess every, all of the art that gets approved for that this Beeple Winter Wonderland event will be displayed on digital screens on December 16th in this massive uh, digital gallery in, in one of the Carolinas, I can't remember. <laughs> And you get an invite on South Carolina, yeah. South Carolina, thank you. South Carolina. Yeah, and you you get an invite and everything, and I I'm not I'm not gonna be able to make it, but I Dude, think you gotta go, man. Come on, dude. I know, I know. I, I really wish I could make it, but hey, it's an honor to even have uh the art and the card displayed there. So to have it in, in, in fakes and be displayed at the at the, the event is gonna be cool for sure. Very cool. What's up, Kane? Well, I'm just saying, for getting that, uh, for getting that fake as fuck token burned, have you offered to trade for hot tub? I find hot tub to be a very effective currency in fakes. <laughs> if you are offering hot tub, someone typically steps up to the plate. Get that hot tub. Get the hot tub. What's up, J Dog? Oh well, uh, a little while ago you were talking about Vegas and strippers and early tokens, and and I just wanted to mention to uh, Davis. I'm not sure if on your timeline yet you have gone down the the rabbit hole. I don't remember what the token name is. I'll I'll spend some time trying to look it up. But there was a guy early in the counterparty who had a strip club in Vegas, and the idea was he was selling this token for like four or five thousand dollars, and it would always get you entry into the strip club back door whatever and he was like chatting with me about building some app to like scan at the door and whatnot so I'll, I'll go through my history and see if i can find 
what the name of that is, and and then you can go down that rabbit hole. Well, well J Dog, when you when you did a uh, some of your first stamps, I think were uh, were an ode to the stripper. Was that was that in some way tied to that original counterparty token? Uh, no, no, I just like that's just stupid. you just like one of my favorite games back in the day. So I like their strippers. They spoke to me when I was a young kid. So I figured they needed to live on Bitcoin. Wait, what game? What game was that? That those are from Duke Nukem. Oh no way! Okay, Duke Nukem. Wow, that's a throwback. Yeah, th there's also a, another uh, not safe for work token on there, um, which is called Blowjob, right? Where you, you redeem when oh. you get one blowjob, I guess. Um, that's in there somewhere. So a lot, a lot of crazy stuff out there. But everyone who's been on stage today over the last hour and a half, dude, appreciate everyone for coming on. This has been an awesome conversation to round out the year of 2023, to remember everything that's going on counterparty. And what's going to happen in the future? It sounds like there's are some movements, and everyone is going to continue to build as uh, we all celebrate this inevitable Pepe run that is just going to be absolutely rip and melt faces off. So, Adam, what any final words, man, uh, before we close this up? What you thinking? It's it's so awesome. I love obviously everybody in this space loves Counterparty. We love the history of it. I've been telling people since day one of Ordinals. It's like this is so good for Counterparty. Like Ordinals itself is so good for Counterparty. Just the awareness of what of the history of it, you know, the whole idea of historical NFTs, which we were laughed at in 2021, is now completely established. And I think all these new eyeballs that are going to come into crypto and NFTs through Bitcoin, through ordinals, uh, just always are going to find their way back to counterparty. And I think it's just uh, it's amazing, man. It's great to be a part of. That it absolutely is. Tomorrow we have the Pepe show. Um, so make sure you have fun there. And then on Thursday, we are featuring one of the co-founders of Super Rare, the first NFT art platform on Ethereum. Gonna have a lot of fun there. We also show at 1130 a.m. Eastern time, uh, Tuesday through Thursday. And until tomorrow morning, uh, we'll see you on the Twitterverse and we'll just continually post about Bitcoin and already going up. And so until then, guys, we'll see you tomorrow.